Maniform Hellkite. Maniform Hellkite. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Of course, that normal card that everybody has a copy or two of in their sideboard. I guess this, you know, kills kills people fairly quickly out of the Lotus sideboard. I guess I guess I get it. Yeah, that's really all. It it gets around graveyard hate is the main yeah. thing. Okay. And it's cheaper than nine mana. <laughs> but why would you ever need to cast something cheaper than nine mana? Hard to imagine. I can't believe you would just, you know, crap all over Zakama this way. I love Zakama. I win every game that it's in play. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> you hope so. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 318 of the MTG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Rappel, with me is Lee McLeod. Hi Lee. Hi CCR, what's going on? I'm chilling. I streamed a bunch of Pioneer, played exclusively Boros Convoke today because I played a league, it went really well, and then I just jumped into another one. I could not stand the deck the first time that I played it when it like first came out, mm-hmm. you know, before the last RC. And now between Imidane's Recruiter and Warden of the Inner Sky, I think it's like a real deck and one that I'm like seriously considering, you know, small sample size, but it felt powerful. So I had some of the end of your stream on in the background. So I heard I heard vocals, but I could not actually see any gameplay. <laughs> well, the end of the stream, I was not necessarily playing against the most uh, competitive matchup, but you know, I mean, everyone's probably trying out their their Lost Caverns of Ixalan cards from their free day from their five day pass or what have you. It's two weeks. It's yeah. a good pass. Nice. All excess is what yeah. I wanted to say. Yeah. It's very convenient. I, I like it's worth it to me just to not have to do like even if Mana Traders like definitely had all of the cards, it's worth it to me to which not deal with renting. Not. Yes, which they do not. Yeah. But all access is I'm a big fan. I'm in it's favor. a real love hate relationship for the uh, the tra- the um, the rental services because they cannot fulfill demand when a site comes out. Right. So everyone gets mad at them if uh, they try to. But it also like stops people from using them. So, yeah, I mean, I just put it on vacation mode every set release now. And I think that that tends to work out pretty well. But you could also just like only moto for the two weeks after each set release and then just never do it otherwise. Honestly, not a bad strategy. Yeah. If you just care about playing some new cards. Yeah. And if you get kind of tired of it after two weeks, then you just don't do it anymore. I think that if you like, don't feel a burning need to right. to grind the moto leagues or what have you. <laughs> Anyways, I was enjoying it. How are you? I'm good. Just got off work, had some dinner. Now it's time to talk about like a thousand cards in Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Well, maybe like 30 cards or something. Yeah, that's average for a standard set, I think. And I think that like the colors weren't like deep enough that we're going to have significantly different top five lists for each color. I think we probably are. Well, sometimes the colors aren't deep enough, like they're no powerful cards enough. So we just like pick random yeah. bad cards <laughs> it's always different 
yeah, just the ones that like suit our particular like proclivities better, and they just are completely like misaligned from each other. And obviously, both are unplayable. But you know, gotta fill up yeah. the list. Th- there were a couple of colors that seemed to have about five, exactly five, like constructed relevant cards. So I suspect that a, a couple of our colors will be more or less identical. Yeah, I also did the thing I always do, where I just combined everything after green. So multicolored artifacts lands. That's one big pile. Uh, yeah, I did the same. So want to thank some of our uh, oldest patrons is the wrong word because they just have been patrons for a long time. It doesn't necessarily mean that their like ages are old, but pa- long time patrons, faithful patrons. Yeah. So they're still patrons now. They were patrons back in uh, like 2018. Pretty cool. Half a decade. Yeah. Jeez. That's a long time. Uh, <laughs> a couple of them are, you know, our our area friends who, you know, kind of like threw us a bone from the beginning, but stuck around. So I do appreciate that. But uh, some of them were people who we didn't even know in person and just enjoyed listening to the podcast and are still here. So we we really appreciate uh, today. We are acknowledging August J. Marcus, Chris Rogers and Michael Braverman. So thank thank you all for sticking with us for so long. It it really means a lot to us. And we've got some some new people as well, which, we which proves that, you know, talking about things works. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mentioning that the Patreon exists is helpful to get people who would join the Patreon if they knew about it. So thank you. Uh, Kilgore Trout, Wush, Seth, Edward, David, Dan and the closer who all joined in like the last couple of weeks. So appreciate everyone and i am opening up the discord now the link will be in the show notes uh everyone is welcome to join the discord whether or not you are a patron and just hang out and we're trying to kind of cultivate a community of people who are kind and respect each other and enjoy magic and want to get better at it and so you're you're welcome in there and yeah yeah we'll chat we'll chill out we had to make some rules for the server because apparently Discord doesn't let you have a community channel without the rules. Yes. And the rules just be chill. That's the one rule. That's our <laughs> our only rule. You don't have to stay on topic. You just have to be cool to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Send out some tokens. If you join, I will send some tokens out this Friday. And that's it. That's all the, the Patreon hawking we've got for today. On to magic cards. Yeah, we've got so many of those. <laughs> yes. Let's not let's not waste time. All right. Do you, do you want to take white first, or do, I think I took yeah. white first last time. I can take white first. It's the floor is yours. Okay. Uh, it is like an artifacty enough set that some, you know, despite it being white, I think a number of these cards are kind of Lee-ish cards. Uh, I'm starting with Thousand Moons Smithy. This is two white white for a legendary artifact. When it ETBs, create a gnome soldier artifact creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of artifacts and or creatures you control and then at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase you may tap five untapped artifacts and or creatures you control if you do transform thousand moons smithy and it flips into a land that makes more of those gnome soldier artifact creatures (laughs) yes exactly i i like this card a lot yeah Uh, it was also number five on my list I, I'm a little hesitant on it because it is really hard to flip, which is when you like get the, the most out of it. That's because whenever you cast an artifact or a creature with it, you you just get to make another token. So you're making a token a turn, 
And the tokens are very big because they're constructs plus the number of creatures you control. They're not just the number of artifacts you control. Unfortunately, Farewell in Standard puts a kibosh on all my hopes and dreams. Yeah, very good against at this type of deck at any stage of the game. Whether you're like still setting up, it'll just crush you. Whether you've like done the thing, it'll just take undo everything you've ever done. And this definitely is a like standard targeted card. It's a four mana artifact that like pays you off for having, you know, it's standard power level. And standard is at the mercy of farewell if people want to play it. For another year. Yes. Farewell is, you know, noble goals in destroying every single mana rock that exists in a commander game. So I, I get that <laughs> they printed it. <laughs> but it sucks that it invalidates like mid-range artifacts that they printed two years later. Yes. But this is a really cool mid-range artifact that I think like we are not the only people inspired to watching the the streamer like preview day or whatever on arena like half of the decks people were trying out were thousand moon smithy artifact decks like it the the deck just like grasps at you and demands to be built yeah for what it's worth i really like the there's another artifact with craft that's like a wrath mm -hmm. i actually like that card too uh in a similar vein because it shrinks the board to your favor and then it flips into this like five three flyer that has some sort of marginal taxing effect. But it, it carkens to this theoretical artifact mid-range deck in white you can build. Unfortunately, don't think yeah. it'll materialize for a little while. But maybe in the future. Yeah, I, I hope so. The cards are very cool. Yeah. It kind of, like, it's a love-hate relationship that Thousand Moon Smithy flips into an artifact land, so it, it still gets hit by Farewell, even after you flip Right, it. right. At no point in the game have you finally like insulated yourself from farewell. But the the cool thing about the legendary artifact is it still makes a token. So you got that going for you. Yeah. Uh, next up, and after playing with it a little bit, this one maybe should be higher on my list. I was really, really impressed by Warden of the Inner Sky. Mm -hmm. One white mana for a 1-2 human soldier. As long as it has three or more counters on it, it has flying and vigilance. Tap three untapped artifacts and or creatures you control. Put a plus one plus one counter on Warden of the Inner Sky. Scry one. Activate only as a sorcery. Um, I just put four of these into the Convoke deck. And it served this role of both enabler because it's a one mana creature. And then like a, a moderate payoff. Like not quite as all in a payoff as the Convoke guys. But it paid you for having stuff in play in a really weird real way that threatened your opponent once this thing is a four or five flying vigilance it's like super super hard to deal with on the battlefield played several games where like warden of the inner sky was like the only thing that mattered and in the mirror every game was just determined by like who started activating warden of the inner sky first it's super generous it lets you tap artifacts as well as creatures to pump it which if you've got clues and bloods lying around like that's enormous and it also just gives you a scry every time you activate it. And the first couple of times I did it, I like was surprised by the fact that I got a scry too. I was like, oh yeah, this is fixing my draws as well. This card's really good in that deck. And I suspect that it's good enough in just like aggressive humans decks. Not as good, certainly. But especially if you're getting counters on it in other ways, once it has flying and vigilance, it's an absolute monster. Yeah, I think it could be quite good in 
standard human decks as or sorry standard soldier decks as well sure like it's it's very well statted for that i i have this card very high like one of the recurring themes of my list or kind of like my philosophy of ranking cards early on is just the cheaper a card is especially one mana cards they go yeah. they just get higher in my list so i i have this at number one i just thought it was the best card in white bar and, and you know what after playing almost two leagues with it i like think i agree with that like this card is just really good yeah like i, I had get lost or whatever which is the removal spell mm-hmm. back and forth with number one i'm like this is just removal spell. i think warden this guy actually offers a lot yeah, it changes what you're able to do with these sorts of decks, and I I think it's fantastic. It it I think it changes the tier of like Boros Convoke to from, and I know that like a lot of people already Boros Convoke was like possibly the best deck in Pioneer, but for me it lifts it up from a deck that I would not consider playing to one that's like in my top two or three possibilities for this tournament. Yeah, it's finally living up to its Hogak name. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't not feel like that. The, the <laughs> warden is is gross. Yeah, I haven't seen any gameplay with it yet, but uh, that does not surprise me. It it just seems very generous. Yep. Uh, my next one is one that definitely should be located under it because it's a very niche sort of card that is like, you know, for the Thousand Moon Smithy decks, but maybe has other application. This is Fabrication Foundry. One in a white for an artifact that taps to add a white. Spend this mana only to cast an artifact spell or activate an ability of an artifact source. And then two in a white tap. Exile one or more other artifacts you control with total mana value X. Return target artifact card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. I think this is just a fun, cute little mana rock for artifact decks in standard that adds to your artifact count. And then if you have important artifacts and like fuel artifacts you can kind of swap them back and forth or in ways you know get get your important artifact back into play if they've killed it or if you've milled it or something like that uh it's definitely worse than than warden of the inner sky it's a very role-playing sort of card the the foundry i like in theory but i think the set doesn't support it very well sure like the the trinket text or the second ability which is the exile some of your artifacts to get an artifact back it's just kind of too expensive and meaningless, in my opinion. Sure. And if you you can't have all of your deck be artifacts for these artifact mid-range decks, so you kind of want to play some spells. And this card only letting you cast artifacts and the artifacts in this set that act as spells being like pretty bad, other than like limited quality cards like uh, spring-loaded saw blades or something. Mm-hmm. It, it's just not what i want to do i think even in the artifact midrange deck like maybe i play it because i need an artifact density but i hope that i do not have to i bet you get on board probably have to especially if you're playing thousand moon smithy and or like the five mana wrath artifact with craft but yeah like I, i get what you're saying i it's a card that is there to be used for that kind of deck but i don't think it's very good at it yeah it's a yeah it's giving you power stone mana which is not always you know right it's it's two mana for a power stone essentially yeah maybe even worse because you can't activate abilities so just whatever you want sure uh my number two is dusk rose reliquary this is one white for an artifact as an additional cost to cast a spell sacrifice an artifact or creature ward two 
When it enters the battlefield, exile target artifact or creature and opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield. I think that this is really cheap, can get any artifact or any creature if you have stuff to sacrifice to it. Uh, and, and the fact that it can sacrifice an artifact or a creature, I think, like, really drastically opens up the range of decks that can run this card. And then also, if you're ever not necessarily cheating it into play because it's, you know, a one mana thing. But if you're ever putting it into play with something rather than casting it, then it's really good. You don't have to pay that cost. And so if you're getting it with, you know, uh, War of Invention or like the Artifact Birthing Pod guy, what's his name? Uh, oh, the, the white creature. Oh, something Fiddlebender. Yeah, Oswald Fiddlebender or Goblin Engineer or something like that. Uh, neither of which are like remotely playable, but that sort of effect, anytime that you skip past the casting this part of the card and something that just puts a one mana artifact into play, then you don't have to pay the cost. But even paying the cost, I think this card is just pretty good a lot of the time. I think even often in your Goblin Engineer deck, you do want to pay the cost because mm -hmm. I like to see it like in a Girl Spring or something when, I'm, when I was engineering yeah. in the past. Yeah. It just gives you one little more out to, to play. I think this card's good. I, I really like this card. It's a number three on my list. I I just think it's super flexible and extremely cheap for an unconditional riddle. Like you can per you can possibly play it in Convoke. I don't know what the slots look like, but it is an option to play as a right. uh change of the rocks like side grade. Yeah, I, I think that you could want this effect and it's definitely like in the running for like the removal slot. You don't actually want to kill stuff very often out of the deck it needs to be like you've identified specific things that you must kill like i ran into the um amalia wild growth walker uh mm -hmm. combo and that may be a thing that you're like okay i need removal spells to stop this and in that case like dusk grows reliquary is not it. like you need an, an instant speed removal spell that works um and so once you've identified what you need to kill this might fit the bill it might not yeah Cheating it into play to get around the cost is a little hard, but that's a dream yeah. worth pursuing <laughs> if yeah. you can do it. <laughs> it's cute if it if it just happens to be a synergy in your deck, then that's a nice bonus. Yeah, yeah, I, I like this card a lot. Uh, my number one card is Get Lost, one and a white instant, destroy target creature, enchantment, or planeswalker. Its controller creates two map tokens. I just don't think that the map tokens are likely to be that good for your opponent after you've killed one of their permanents and they're especially bad for your like leyline binding planeswalker deck opponent whenever you have get lost against them and the fact that it can target like to their teferi or their leyline binding or their enigmatic incarnate like the fact that this targets enchantments too is huge enchantments have gotten a lot better over the the past like year or two yeah, and there hasn't been an, like an abrade equivalent for enchantments, like a free mm -hmm. card you just that kills enchantments on top of it. And this is that card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little worse. Yeah, I think that you know you will lose some games if you just put this as your two mana removal spell in your blue white control deck. Like you will lose some number of games to like I get lost your creature, and then they're like I will use the map tokens to plus put two, plus, plus one plus two. one, yeah, and attack <laughs> and kill you. It's even worse if they like animate Mutavolt and explore with Mutavolt, because that's even harder <laughs> to deal with. Right. Yeah. Put it on a man land that you like never have the ability to kill. But I think that especially out of not control decks that are boarding in removals, but like this, this is a removal spell that's going to get boarded in an enormous amount. 
And the fact that it kills Leyline Binding is just like, yeah, I, I want this card a lot of the time. Yeah, this card's extremely flexible and very good. It is everything Faithful Essence probably should have been. Yes. I do think the map tokens can matter a lot, which is why you do need to be careful about what you're boring it in against. Mm-hmm. But against low creature count decks or decks that even can't attack very well on the ground, deal. This card's so free. Using this as your removal spell and then your opponent has Warden of the Inner Sky and starts tapping the maps to put plus one plus one counters on their Warden is is a bad result. That's not what we're looking for here. Yeah, that is that is a nightmare. All of a sudden they start scrying and you're like, wait, hold on. Can I give you your creature back? This is worse. <laughs> <laughs> My list is very similar. I just have one new card to introduce. Because mm-hmm. I didn't have Fabrication, whatever. Yeah, the, the reasonable. Analog. So my number five was Thousand Moon Smithy, which is the the construct thing. My number four was Guardian of the Great Door. This is a white, mm-hmm. white 4-4 four, four angel with flying. Oh, yeah. And as an additional cost to cast the spell, you tap four untapped artifact creatures and or lands. Uh, this is just a shout out to Aether Vile decks out there. Like, it, it's much better than Sarah Avenger. Is that the 3-3 three, three for two? It's much better to Violin. But a Sarah Avenger that you draw at some point in the game, you can cast. Now, Sarah Avenger mm-hmm. has not seen any play in anything in many years. So, you know, any that does, that comparison is kind of irrelevant, I guess. Yeah, I, I also do think 4-4 is substantially larger than 3-3. It is. Like, by a by a big margin. It doesn't add a lightning bolt. It fights a lot of creatures much better. Kills your opponent faster. It does that, too. <laughs> This is kind of a one-trick card. Like you're only ever going to play it if either Vial is in your deck, but it is good when you Vial it in. It is like a threatening thing that your deck can do that doesn't do a lot of that. Like those de- decks usually kind of struggle for damage. Yeah, they're just kind of board control. Maybe I'll have a Culture Complete if my Stoneforge lives. Just a type of decks. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, they're just like really scrapping. Or maybe I do two Flicker Wisps and I can really take you down fast. Turn seven, we got this. <laughs> Yeah, some some Archon of Amirias. Get some more flying creatures in there. Let's go. Mm. <laughs> and then my number three was Duskrow's Reliquary. Number two was Get Lost. And my number one was Warden of the Inner Sky. I, I love that card. Cool. I had thought about it for the Convoke stuff and a bunch of worse stuff that, you know, isn't as relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, card is really good even in the worst stuff i think it, it elevates decks that it's in probably yeah all right blue was a tricky one for me to rate okay we've had a lot of cards that i some some i think are very good and the others speculative sure so i'm starting off at number five here with a speculative pick nice so this is subterranean schooner oh yeah this almost made my list yeah one and a blue for a 3-4 vehicle with crew one. Uh, when it attacks, target creature that crewed it this turn explores. So it's worded in such a way where you can't like crew it with all your creatures and then explore with all of them. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, maybe that card would be busted. But it would be cool the first time. <laughs> it would be very cool the first time. It, it would get pretty old eventually. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Like the second time they activated that game. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you're kidding me. <laughs> it just puts plus one, plus one counters on your whole team. Counter, draw land, counter, counter, counter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was not. Woo. Lost for two mana. 
anyway, this vehicle and the the real text of the card, I think adds a lot. Like if this yeah. vehicle were any other color, it would be very high on those lists. The fact that this is blue makes it a little lower because it's not usually a creature color. You have to be pairing it with like actual creatures that want to attack. Because playing a creature and then crewing it, crewing this car as a 3-4, getting in, it'd probably survive because 3-4 is very big, especially on turn 3, turn 4. While growing other creatures is a really good deal, especially if you are playing cards like uh, Spectral Sailor or Spyglass Siren, which is a new card that's also mm -hmm. a flying man. Uh, just like adding to your board turn over turn while you're attacking, I think is very useful. Yeah. I mean, it, it does the vehicle thing where it kind of like gives your creatures pseudo haste until it gets to the point where the three, four is, you know. Yeah, eventually it by. cannot attack. But unlike some other vehicles that you have bad attacks and you don't get anything out of your vehicle, you can throw this away for a counter or a chance yeah. of drawing a land. Yeah. And in the case yeah. of specifically Spectral Sailor, uh, either result is good for that card, right? Because if you hit lands, you can start activating your Spectral Sailor to draw cards. If you hit counters, the Spectral Sailor gets big. Yeah. It does have a kind of obnoxious thing where, like, it targets the creature that crewed it to explore, so you can't resolve that ability. You know, you play this on turn two, they pass with two mana up, you play a creature to crew it and attack, and then if they decide, I'd like to kill the creature that crewed that, then you don't get your explore. So, you know, you won't draw the card if it's a land on top because the ability won't resolve. So that, you know, there are definitely spots where it, it isn't, you know, this is not Smuggler's Copter. It's not just like doing the, the everything on its own. Yeah, that is how map tokens also work. Mm -hmm. So it's probably just kind of one of those things where they want it to be tied to a creature. Yeah. But yeah, that is a small downside for sure. But I think the stats this card gives in specific decks can make up for it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. All right. My number four is going to be Kite Sail Larcenist. This is a two and a blue, two, three human pirate with flying and ward one. Importantly, ward one. Mm hmm. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, for each player, you can choose another target, artifact, or creature that player controls. And for as long as Kite's Alarsness remains on the battlefield, those permanents become treasures and lose all other abilities. Uh, this is a rare mono-blue pacifism that can attack. Like, it, it shuts off a per an artifact or a creature, not a, not a permanent. But it can do that for mostly your opponent. You're never really going to pick your things, <laughs> unless you have I don't know, it's something truly horrific and you just want a treasure, you can turn one of your things into a treasure as well. Mm -hmm. Because it's... You actually get to do it for both players if you want, but you're mostly just going to do it on your opponent. I mean, like, a, a map turned into a treasure is probably an upgrade, especially, like, early in the game. Yeah, if you want to go, like... Well, this is a three drop, so you're, you're catapulting from three mana to five mana? Yeah, or it lets you, like, double spell on turn four or something like that. Sure. Or, yeah... Turn something, turn a untapped thing into a treasure, so you can hold open a spell pierce or what have you. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> that could be neat, especially if you have a, a map lying around from uh, Siren Lookout. Yeah, or Spyglass Siren. I mean, mostly this is a flying banisher priest with ward, which I I think is just good. Yeah, it's got a little added flexibility of the artifact text too. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't make Feldman and Smithy get too out of hand. <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hitting an artifact is a nice bonus. And yeah, this is just flying manager priest. I also like that it flies because a lot of the time when you play, what's the what's the spirit? This is just like apparition. Apparition, yeah. So a lot of the time when you play cards like Skyclave Apparition, they just are on the battlefield and don't do anything until they eventually die. Yeah, and then you give your opponent your thing back. This card actually gets to attack a lot because it flies. And yeah. there's not a lot of fiend hunters out there that can fly. Like even Werefox Bodyguard in the previous set uh, was a guard I really liked. Didn't have that application. Like it did other stuff, but it right. didn't ever really tangle in combat unless it was like <laughs> I have seen it in modern flash in and like eat rhinos, and that's pretty cute. <laughs> but, but for the most part, it just sits there on the battlefield until it dies. Yeah, I, I think that this thing having flying is huge, right? Because the two zoo body usually doesn't do very much at all, but with flying in constructed, like it's mostly just going to get in and deal two damage a turn until your opponent figures it out. Yep. And it does have a slight downside. Like it does ramp them, but mm-hmm. you know, theoretically that's a price you're willing to pay if they want to get rid of their permanent permanently. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, once they have used it to make a mana, then it doesn't matter if they kill this thing, they can't get it back anymore. Yep, just you just got your two three, and tricked them into cashing in their permanent. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that that was an educated decision. The next card I have, I wrote Spyglass Schooner, but I'm pretty sure I meant Spyglass Siren. <laughs> this is a blue mana one one Siren Pirate flying. When it's the battlefield, make a map token. This is also part of my overarching the fewer mana a card costs, the better it is. This is a one mana, one, one. It makes a map. The map can be used to draw a card or get a counter. And this is a one mana or like a two mana, two, two with some flexibility. Yep. I mean, it's two permanents. I just played a pioneer deck with four, three of an inspector, four Voldaren Epicure. Like basically all of these one drop creatures that come with an artifact are going to see play somewhere just from synergies with getting an extra permanent artifact synergies, whatever. And the fact that this body has flying, like it's probably the worst of the artifact tokens, but this body does have flying, making the creature a little more relevant. And the fact that it has flying means that when you just use the map to explore, you put the counter on this and that's a nice like, oh, I'm attacking for two in the air now. Um, Yeah, I think this card is just one mana and good. Yeah, this card is no hard evidence in right. comparison to the other like one mana artifact plus a creature guys. Right. But hard evidence is modern locked. Like the, that card is pretty clearly good in standard. <laughs> so we, we get I this mean, one instead. I'll, I'll, I've been a lot of times brewing standard and pioneer decks. I've been like, man, what I wouldn't give for hard evidence. And <laughs> this obviously doesn't do this exactly the same things. Like one of the decks that I was brewing was like, man, I would love to put this in my creativity deck, but we don't have it. And, you know, this doesn't do that. But for any other application where you need something like that, this 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 does some of that job. And it's cheap. Can't ask much. One mana. Nah. All right. Number two is a call per call. First among equals. Nice. This is a 2U15 legendary human advisor. At the beginning of each player's end step, if an artifact entered the battlefield under your control this turn, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them in your hand and the other in your graveyard. 
So every time you get to your every time a call Pakal sees an artifact, you, you get a card for free. And it's huge. Like yeah, I, I was toughness. very happy playing Psy Master Thopterist, which is a two U one four with an artifact triggered ability, right? Like you got Thopters. Mm-hmm. This one is arguably a better trigger. Like it, it's drawing you cards and and fueling your graveyard if that's something you care about. And it's huge. Like if you can't lava coil it or whatever people, whatever the kids <laughs> are playing these days. Sure. <laughs> Ob- obliterating bolt is the lava coil yeah. choice. Can't rending volley it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's huge. It, you can block a rhino token if you somehow play this in modern. Jeez, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that that is that does come up a lot. Like I have been playing Yawgmoth recently, and I've. Uh, intentionally make my wall roots as zero fives if I can because it just mm. blocks rhinos. Yeah, I mean the one five is a nice, solid stat line. It is fun. Like modern is by far the format that it's easiest to trigger this in, but also the format where you need to be doing stuff much fat like three mana. The stuff we're doing in modern is like casting living end or rhinos or like beans has been in play for a t- for two turns now or you know you're under the gun in modern for sure and like casting this and a and a misha's bauble to get a card draw trigger is like a little small ball unless this is a juke plan yeah i think we're getting more and more in the spot where pioneer where you can try to start brewing some decks that trigger a call to call mm-hmm uh, especially if they keep giving us sets like this one, right? Where just like half the spells are, like half the common, uncommon spells are artifacts. Yeah. And then we can start like really paying attention to it in Pioneer. Because I agree that this card is the easiest to trigger in Modern and clearly the weakest. Yes. It also only needs to trigger, like it only needs the artifact to have entered the battlefield. So if you have anything that like, makes an artifact token for no mana or whatever like if there's any other like way to get an artifact that's not just casting an artifact for some amount of mana then that is much better with this card i'm not thinking of anything but you know if something dies into an artifact or or whatever then that can make just cast this make an artifact get your value that turn which is what you really hope for but i'm not sure which sequences are are actually like useful for that in not modern um, Sahili, uh, War of the Spark Sahili is something that can do that. Like, if you cast a non creature spell, you make a servo. This sees yeah. the servo enter. You still have to cast a. You, you do. Know, that's yeah, still you some do. mana, some amount of mana, I guess, is the thing. I mean, that there's, I'm a black, to out. there's a black one drop in this set that dies into a treasure token. Sure. <laughs> you can do that if you want yeah, to. Yeah, I guess so. There's, It's more of a bonus than something you're really looking to accomplish, I think. You don't really need to get two cards per turn cycle out of this as long as you're advancing your game plan right like it, it, yeah I i'm just trying to think of that first one you know this is probably mostly like a four mana play to like play it and get the trigger and that's just kind of like what you have to resign yourself to right yeah but then if it survives then you really start just like getting cards and that's uh, i'm into it could activate treasure map on your opponent's turn sure <laughs> <laughs> Then you're really swimming in cards. Anyway, anyway. my number one is mm-hmm. Malcolm, Alluring Scoundrel. I think it's by clear the best blue card in the set. Sure. That's going to come back to haunt me in a soundbite later. <laughs> when there's some card I overlooked. 
Uh, but this is one in a blue for a 2-1 Flash Flying Legendary Siren. Uh, whenever deals combat damage to a player, you put a chorus counter on it, then you loot. Then if there are four more chorus counters on Malcolm, you can cast the discarded card without paying its mana cost. Yeah, I mean, there's trinket text on there that's like really big sounding, but mostly it's a two mana, two one flash flyer with a legendary typing that loots every time it hits them. Like, that's a lot of good things. Yeah, we, we learned how good legendary looters are from Rafine, right? I mean, sure, Rafine makes your creature huge. This card does not do that. <laughs> right, but Rafine is also like on that that like high bar of like what what three drops do i put in my deck there's like 10 fantastic three drops okay like rafine is the best of them so rafine is very good but what rafine demands is a critical mass of two mana creatures that can attack and, and this is a good Malcolm one. Is one of them also wears legendary which is relevant for plaza heroes yep that's still a very good card that's leave on standard you don't need a lot of help casting mono colored cards but it does help with the when you activate Plaza of Heroes protection mode, that can be a blowout, especially I mean, in combat. Maybe that's how you get to the fourth chorus counter is by protecting well. with Plaza of Heroes, right? <laughs> It'd be pretty sick to protect Malcolm, get my fourth chorus counter, and then draw duplicate legendary of a card I even play. Or you put a shieldred in play, and that, you yeah, still have Plaza to protect the shieldred. Like that's <laughs> that's what you want. <laughs> I, yeah, this card does not ask very much to be a, a fine card, though. Like a flash two one flyer that loots is is solid, very good. And the thing is, like, it's not part of the evaluation of the card. We don't care that you can cast a card for free, but it's gonna happen a bunch of times, like over the course of its lifetime in standard, because this card is good and playable. And sometimes, like, it just won't die. Every once in a while, you'll be able to protect it. It'll do that, and then you'll get to cast. You know, you probably don't have any super expensive spells but that doesn't matter if you cast a four mana spell for free with this thing after looting for four times like that's going to be a really impressive turn i mean it doesn't even matter the mana cost of the spell right like if you cast a one drop for free you just like post black glass siren out of play you, you right. still drew a card yeah you, like, you, you didn't have to discard a card. mana like yeah <laughs> like sure that well that sucked for you because you had to discard a one drop or whatever but you didn't it also, it also doesn't reset itself so the first time it does this if your opponent like it's just gonna keep doing that if your opponent somehow isn't dead after that it just keeps hitting them and doing this again and yeah, again. eventually you'll draw a four drop and then it'll be over yeah finally yeah here's here's the comma oh perfect yeah. on top of my lands <laughs> i did cast it yeah <laughs> emrakul you could do emrakul with it too <laughs> That's the dream right there. We're proliferating in a chorus counters under Malcolm to put everyone oh, yeah. to play. We're building a real brew here. <laughs> it's funny, though, because like what, what I'm saying is that like this text is irrelevant to the evaluation of the card, but it's also inspiring enough that we get to talk about it. And like this card would be exactly as playable without that text. And then sometimes you get it. Let's the best, part, the best group, too, is you get to recycle your graveyard when you cast Emrakul. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> because it does go there it does go there it triggers and then you cast it before that trigger ability actually gets put on the stack that's using every part of the emrakul oh man yeah fantastic usually when it goes to the graveyard you're like goryozing it out but not here you get to recycle your graveyard get the extra turn trigger and keep the emrakul in play <laughs> coming to a uh, steady progress deck near you Mm, ideal yeah all all really <laughs> playable stuff 
What is, is contentious play on the two mana one? I think it might be. Anyway. All right. My list is proliferate knowledge. Really similar to yours. My number five is Spyglass Siren. You know, you can kind of move these around a little bit, but certainly it's in that like Voldaren Epicure category of just we'll use this for it's something somewhere. Yeah. Uh, my number four is Staunch Crewmate. This is one in a blue for a 2-1 human pirate. When it ETBs, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact or pirate card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I like that this looks at this looks at one more card than Glitness Crane, right? That card only looked at three, or did that look Glitness at four? Glitness Crane looks at four. Okay. That, okay, so it looks at the same number, but... Glitness Crane hit, can't get pirates. Right, and Staunch Crewmate is a pirate. So every Glitness Crane that you've cast that reveals, like, you know, you, you can't count Glitness Crane in your artifact count, so that's already, like, several slots that's not in your artifact count. This just, like, contributes to your count for hitting with Staunch Crewmate, which I think is really nice. And Glitness Crane saw like a bunch of play. <laughs> so, so, you know, I think that this will see some amount, maybe just like in, you know, fun FNM type brews and stuff. But, you know, this is a body that draws a card in your artifact decks and misses less often because it can hit itself. And I, I think that's pretty nice. So, yeah, that is pretty nice. I, I hadn't. Knew the of the awareness of this card, but it didn't register that it could get another copy of itself. Mm-hmm. If that's what you wanted to do, the sizing is definitely much worse than Glitness Cranes. It is, uh, but if there is uh, an artifact you really want to dig for, this is a very nice tool to have. That's why Glitness Crane was played. Yeah, because it dug for those important artifacts like Aetherworm's Marvel, your Metalwork Colossus. Yeah. Um, and then all of my other ones are on your list. My number three is Akal Pakal. My number two is Malcolm. And my number one is Kitesail Larsenist. I I feel like this card's going to be very important in standard, potentially. I think it's just going to be like a turn three play that you're annoyed by a, a lot of the time. Yeah, I think the this being this having Ward one is a signal that it's clearly a little pushed for standard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. We want this card to be good, so it's going to be a little more annoying than usual. The one thing I'm a little nervous about for standard is I, I wonder how often it'll be like you play this, turn their thing into a treasure, and they're like, okay, whatever, cast my shield to turn early. And it's like, <laughs> okay, that didn't work out very well. I, I, I don't know if that's really going to be pick, the thing. You really got to pick your target. Yeah. it's not. But the later in the game it gets, the better this card is generally, I think. So... And it also scales much better than something like Skyclad Operation, which could only ever hit fours. Mm. Like you can hit your opponent's five drop with this. Yeah, true. Anyways, I'm into it. Black cards. Black cards. All right. My number five is Tithing Blade. This is okay, one cool. in a black. I love this card. <laughs> yeah, one in a black for an artifact. When it ETBs, each opponent sacrifices a creature. It's got some craft text. I almost don't care about that at all because this is, you know, trial of ambition trial. of Yeah, this is trial of ambition, but an artifact. So it's easier to use for a lot of things that you want that permanent for. The artifact is generally going to be more useful to you than an enchantment. And I think that that's good enough all on its own, probably. Also, I played a couple of leagues in Pioneer of this mono black kind of 
just Liliana theme deck, basically, just like all discard spells. It, it was a Waste Not deck. Waste Not was the worst card in the deck by a lot, even though the deck was built around it. But a lot of the deck, but the Go Blanks were good. The Lilianas were good. And right now in Pioneer, the Edicts seem to be incredible. There was just like a lot of stuff they were solving that I was very happy to solve with them. I played against Boggles and then I just had a deck with like 10 Edicts in it, which was uh, it felt pretty good. I bet it felt terrible for them. It, they weren't. <laughs> they logged off tell. for the day after that match. <laughs> Some of their turns dragged a little bit as they like looked at their hand of three auras with no creatures on the battlefield and then like slowly passed. So, you know, edicts seem to be a little bit better than they have been. Like in the past, I've in the like uh, enigmatic incarnation versions that had trial of ambition. I I like cast trial of ambition two times and was like, this is not a playable magic card in this format. There's just no way. But it's the, the format does seem a little bit different now, a little more welcoming to edict effects. But generally, this is an artifact that edicts when it comes into play and that will be useful. Yeah, I, I like this card a lot. I actually do think the craft text is relevant. Uh, it's sure. Five mana, craft of the creature. It flips into a a ping at the beginning of your turn. You mm -hmm. you ping them and you gain a life. Uh, that doesn't sound like much because it's not. This is a common chill. But <laughs> if you're in these kind of games where you are uh, making the game into basically a kind of a top deck war, where both players are just doing nothing because the game is really small, there's no creatures in play. Having a mana sink that can kill your opponent very slowly is pretty nice. Like, I don't think it's the best part of the card. I think, obviously, the best part of the card is that it's a permanent that's very easy to interact with. Mm -hmm. But having a, like, slight out is interesting yeah, to me. it's there. Um, this also, and I know, like, there's always something that makes us go hmm goblin engineer and goblin engineer is never actually playable but this is sick with goblin engineer just like cycling yeah. it back and forth getting edicts is like really really scary i'm more into this with like deadly dispute than goblin engineer i agree <laughs> and and i mean that's like a format that you know pioneer is much more accepting of this sort of thing like modern is you know a no holds barred blood sport sort of format right now and watsy give me the improvised mechanic that reduces colored mana <laughs> then you know we'll look at tide we'll look at tithing blade again yeah what what are we improvising like the demon like what are we we're i don't know some bolus of citadel nonsense <laughs> sure <laughs> my number four is Tarion's journal this is one in a black for a legendary artifact. Tap, sacrifice another artifact or creature, draw a card, activate only as a sorcery. Two tap, discard your hand, transform Tarion's journal. I guess this this like transforms into a land or something. I don't it, even know it, what this does. It's a legendary cave that taps for black mana, and then you okay. can tap it to cast a creature spell from your graveyard this turn. It notably does not target, so it's just... Until in turn, you may cast creature spell from your graveyard. Yeah. Uh, and if you do, that enters with a finality counter on it. And it is a vampire. And finality counters mean that if it, it would die, it just gets exiled instead. I guess that's probably like a nice backup thing. Like once you've run out of resources, if you, you know, weren't able to totally convert. And, and also the fact that it's legendary, you can flip this into the land side and then play your second copy of the front half. After you, after you draw the, the, the second copy again. 
Yeah, off of the draw you ability. Discard here. your hand for the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, you can't quite sequence it that way. You you can well you, you can, can put cast, it on the stack. Right, you can put yeah, it on the stack. Put it on the stack. Then discard your hand at instant one. speed. Wow, yeah. this is powerful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, this is a zero mana way to sacrifice stuff for value you can only do it as a sorcery which is you know kind of limiting a lot of our sacrificing we are doing at instant speed this is less powerful that much less powerful as an immediate effect than deadly dispute but it keeps going you can sacrifice artifacts or creatures to it which has been really key for making cards like deadly dispute go from like oh this is the common that's in every set to oh this is really good uh, this card is really good with witch's oven because a lot of the time when you're playing with Witch's Oven, like sometimes you have Cat Oven and everything's good and you don't really need anything else. That, this card doesn't solve that. But sometimes you just have Witch's Oven and your opponent targets your thing with removal and you sack it to make a food. And you just have this food lying around that you're never going to do anything with. Mm -hmm. This card lets you sacrifice this food to draw cards, which yeah. is huge. Yeah, You're outputting a card you would do nothing with, like extra insulation for uh, Cauldron Familiar, basically. You're converting that into just raw cards. Yep. This also gives you, I, I think that what this is really nice for is, you know, you're running a bunch of claim the firstborns. Those are really good when you do have your oven or you have the mana to cast deadly dispute and you have a deadly dispute, but you only have eight copies of that effect in your deck. So now I think running like that one or two of these now you have nine or ten copies of an effect that lets you sacrifice the creature that you cast claim the firstborn on and that makes it just I, I think that it was just short of enough sacrifice effects and now i think maybe you get there on it and then yeah this lets you do some like just keep getting value over the course of the game i i, I suspect that this will be uh, a one or two of in pioneer sacrifice yeah it's it's not transformative enough to be like a four of or what have no. you but it's pretty nice that it's a value engine that can turn for transform into all right. Here's another mayhem devil, that sort of thing. Yep. And I, I don't know if it goes in anything else or if it sees play in like standard, but you know, you can sacrifice map tokens to draw cards and that's, that's something. It's pretty hard to get maps in black, I think. Right. But you can play more than one color. No, that's not true. No, huh? <laughs> I mean, you can sacrifice your, you know, tithing blade to it to draw a card like that's that's pretty cool. That is actually pretty cool. I, I do like that. Uh, I was thinking about map tokens, too, and it occurred to me. I think the best map maker is the the green three drop creature. But yeah, there's already a best green black card advantage thing, which is the the green knight from Eldraine, right? Yeah, right. That's true. You just cast that or and, and Glissa also exists. So you you have your like if you're green black deck, you have your card advantage engines kind of lined, lined up. Yeah, you don't you don't. That's the problem with green black isn't that they don't have enough value. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, my nice. number three is Bloodletter of Aklazots. Although the more that we talked about five and four, the more I'm like kind of into those cards is just like cards that move value from place to place and bloodletter of aklazots is just a, a weird hammer creature one black 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 for a two four flying if an opponent would lose life during your turn they lose twice that much life instead it's just you know doing kind of torbrandish stuff for black there aren't you know as many aggressive black decks as there are aggressive mono red decks but it also works with 
non-damage based sources, anything that makes them lose life is going to make them lose double that life, which can be a big difference maker. And in particular, this is really good with Soren if you're able to make a Soren vampire deck, which maybe doesn't happen, but it is really good with Soren. I'm not a big believer in this card because mm -hmm. I think it is just kind of a a very good win more with Soren card. It's very effective at killing your opponent if you control Soren. Extremely effective. I think a lot of the time it doesn't do a lot else because it's so heavy black. Black is not an extremely aggressive color. Right. And it's just kind of hard to utilize. Yep. Like I if, mean, I don't disagree with any of that. Which I think we should yeah. be able to, but we can't. I would be a lot more into that because then you can actually go back to mono black and have this card work at a, a lot better clip. But that's not the world we live in, so I'm not interested in this card very much. No, that's fair. I, I don't disagree with any of that. It is just a, a an impressive ability to put onto a creature that also is, you know, a four mana, four power flyer effectively that that does can do a thing when it comes into play. So it's worth a look, but I'm not sure that the decks exist for it. My number two is Souls of the Lost. This is one in a black for a spirit that is an X, a star slash star plus one. As an additional cost to cast a spell, discard a card or sacrifice a permanent, and it has fathomless descent. Its power is equal to the number of permanent cards in your graveyard, and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. Uh, I was already pretty high on this card. Obviously, Aspiring Spike is doing stuff with LCI cards, and this card was really good in his decks. It what just was like do? I didn't see anything. Uh, so I mostly saw him playing like a Vengevine deck. And yes, see, that was the card I called out as being incredible with this. One. Yeah, no, like Vengevine is show. clearly great with this card. Like I was uh, very low on this card in general, but I'm like, if we had Vengevine, I'm here for it. Yeah, so it was really good in the Vengevine deck. He also then switched to like a, a hollow one deck. Then it okay. also looked good there. Basically, like this thing was just constant, consistently enormous for two mana. And also enabled any discard synergies that you had. And also the fact that you can sacrifice a permanent to put it in play. Instead of just cat discarding a card means that you can sacrifice Stitcher Supplier. Or you don't have to discard a card. You can sacrifice an extra land or whatever like nonsense creature or token you have lying around. That, that doesn't matter that much. I think that like the additional cost to cast it is generally going to be a benefit. And it's really really big as long as your opponent doesn't have Leyline of the void in play you can sack your tithing blade that's been lying around for it you can sacrifice your tithing blade that'll pump it too because that was yeah. that's a permanent that goes to the graveyard sure is i mean this does seem generally more powerful in older formats where it's easier to get multiple cards into the graveyard um but even in something as simple as like grease fang i think this is an addition to that deck where it is an entirely not an entirely separate plan because of part of your opponent's sideboard plan against you is to bring in hard graveyard hate like Leyline of the Void or Rest in Peace, then it is bad against that. But if you're playing against... Okay, so like Grease Fang's Is It matchup is atrocious generally. It's like quite bad against Phoenix and it's even worse against any version of Is It that doesn't have to cast a bunch of sorcery speed stuff at some point in the game because they just have like good removal spells that like trade at like high mana efficiency for what you're trying to do 
you only get to do your thing in your pre-combat main phase and so they're free to do whatever they want once you've passed that like grease fang trigger window but the Isidex can't play like graveyard hate if you slam down a souls of the lost and it's like a seven eight what is the Isidex gonna do about that they're just gonna die to it so I, I think that it is like a good solid plan that can help fix one of your really bad matchups and i i think that this will find homes and a lot of decks like that over the course of its life in various formats yeah i think its best part is turning on free graveyard synergies so i, yeah. I expect oh for sure play primarily in modern for i don't know vendrians root wallas maybe so something like that anything yeah. that's free to do yeah, I mean, I think it's huge in like the Vengevine deck actually like looked pretty good. Blazing Rootwaller looked excellent in the deck. I mean, like, it was a Rootwaller deck too. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. There was definitely something there, but I, I this card was very impressive. All right. I'm so curious to what your number one is. Uh, my number one is Bitter Triumph. This is one in a black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast a spell, discard a card or pay three life, destroy a target creature or planeswalker. I think this just mostly takes the mantle of the two mana black removal spell of choice. It's instant speed. It kills creatures or planeswalkers. You can pay life and matchups where cards matter. You can pay card a card in matchups where your life total matters and it's flexible and good. Also enables your graveyard synergies similarly to, you know, I think worse than souls of the lost generally, but if you have graveyard synergies, then this is, any deck that just like put collective brutality in there to like give you an extra yeah. discard outlet, you know, you get to do this instead of that. I I have no complaints. I I have this card at number three on my list just because I liked other cards being sure. more unique. But yeah, this card's very good. Yep. And that's my blacklist. All right, my my list is not too different. I also have tithing blade at number five because nice. I quite like that card yeah it's good uh, my number four is deep cavern bat i wasn't sure exactly how to evaluate this so this is a one in a black one one flying lifelink bat uh when it etbs you look at their hand and you can exile a non-land card from it until this bat leaves the great that battlefield so it is a, a brain maggot or a mesmeric fiend that also has flying and lifelink yeah <laughs> so it's definitely the best version of that card they printed I well, don't know if it finds a home having an, at all. It hurts that it has like a completely irrelevant creature type. Like it's a better like standalone card than Kite Sail Freebooter by a pretty significant. It can take creatures and it has lifelink, but it does not get Thalia's Lieutenant counters or anything like that. So I don't know sure. where you put it. Yeah, I, I don't either. It is. That's why I said I wasn't sure how to evaluate it. Yeah. Like it's people did play Brain Maggot. That's because that was a, an enchantment. It had some synergies with like Doomwake Giant and what have you. This is just a bat. It's not even an artifact. Yeah. So. But similar to the blue guy that I've already forgotten the name of, like this body is actually relevant to the game. It has flying and lifelink. So it's going to rather than being just a guy that sits there and can't attack or block because it's hiding your opponent's card under it. It just drains them for one life every turn until they deal with it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Life Drain. Mm -hmm. Also, part of the reason why I like Tithing Blade. <laughs> there will probably be just some mid-range black decks, especially in Standard, that it's just like, yeah, this is the best two-drop that I can put in my deck. Wow, mid-range black decks in Standard? No or, way. 
<laughs> Clearing the way, like this is this is a two drop that takes their leyline binding, right? And that's kind of huge. You, you just now your three drop or whatever is not going to get leyline binding because this came down first, and that's like think, really good. I think it could be quite good against ramp decks and standard because it can take off it can take the payoff or the removal spell, like whatever's relevant. Yeah, yeah, I like this guy. Just a little guy doesn't need to be huge. Mm -mm. My number three is Bitter Triumph because I, as much as I know removal spells are good, I have a hard time putting them to the top. That's fair. <laughs> my number two is Terry and Sturmel. That's the sacrifice book. Mm -hmm. And my number one was Souls of the Lost. Yeah. All right. Red cards. Red cards I thought were really hard. I thought, yeah, I thought Red was the weakest in this set. Not good, yeah. So we're going to get a little creative here. And I'm sure this is always happens when we do this. You're going to have a, a much different list than I am because mm -hmm. we're just picking different bad cards. We're picking various C minuses off of the card yeah. list, yeah. So my number five is Poetic Ingenuity. Okay. You can, this kind of sees where we go. From here. Yep, yep. Great start. <laughs> so this is two and a red for an enchantment. Whenever you attack, whenever one or more dinosaurs you control attack, make that many treasure tokens and whenever you guys an artifact spell make a 3-1 dinosaur token only triggers once per turn i don't know where this goes this is nope. just a payoff a payoff it's a sigh in mono red mm -hmm. it's a lot worse than like gear per aether grid but gear per aether grid is not legal in a lot of formats no it's definitely not it's very much not legal in standard where stuff mm -hmm. like um the incubator is is legal and like looking for a home and maybe this is something that lets that happen are you talking about the Chrome Host trick? No, um, the one red mana that like flips a card off the top of your library and you can sacrifice it to make a samurai. And when it dies, you, you know, oh, impulse. the synthesizer synthesizer. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, that, that card's very good. Yeah. And like I, it, it's in the same color as this thing. My my dream deck one day is to have an experimental synthesizer uh, tithing blade deck where we can actually use the permanence in play. Well, just the Tarion's, Tarion's journal, journal just sacrifices artifacts. Like we're getting somewhere. Yeah. If only we could like do something other than sacrifice them. Like, can we suit this up with uh, some sort of enchantment, like the scissors deck? That would be cool. That would be cool. Or if we just had like a goblin engineer that can you know flip them back and forth, that would be really cool too. Yeah, and this is uh, this poetic ingenuity card is just a payoff for the artifacty stuff. Yeah. It's not a dinosaurs card. This card sucks for dinosaurs because dinosaurs <laughs> suck. Spoiler alert for green. Dinosaurs are not on that list at all. <laughs> well, uh, there's this... at least one dinosaur probably on that list, but not for dinosaur purposes. I don't have any creature type dinosaurs on my list. Oh, wow. OK. I could have overlooked one easily. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to move on because this, this card's not that impressive. Sure. My number four is dire flail. Another okay. artifact card. Yeah, we do just have a completely different list, I think. <laughs> so Dire Flail is a red mana for an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus so equip one. And then you can craft it with an artifact for five mana and it flips into a slightly better equipment. It, oh. It's not very important because this is a very a very mana efficient card that loses all of its mana efficiency once you craft. <laughs> You're just spending five mana on your at sorcery speed. And then equipping it before you do anything with the backside. So I'm just going to ignore it. Mostly 
this is an artifact that you can slap onto something. It's Bone Splitter. Bone Splitter has not seen print since what Mirrodin, <laughs> and it did get overshadowed in Mirrodin by the fact that you know Arcbound Ravager and such existed. So a rough place to be a Bone Splitter. Nowadays, it might suffer because of creatures are just better. But I yeah. think if there's a spot where you can use the permanent that this is and the the power it gives you is really nice. So, for instance, I was thinking of uh, Ginger Brutes in Standard. If you can do any artifact synergies at all, uh, this is a good card to pair with uh, an aggressive artifact deck with Ginger Brute. Like, if you can play this and you have a Shrapnel Blast or some sort of effect thereof, like that, so, that is interesting to me. Eater of Virtue does exist and is Standard Legal. It just is legendary, but it also doesn't cost red mana. So That's true. do kind of have a bone splitter already. I forgot about that. And the existence of that probably means this is irrelevant, right? I, I'm afraid it might. Alas. Well, I still have hopes. One sure. day. One day they'll make an equipment that will be playable. I mean, you know, maybe turning this into the dire blunderbuss is the thing that makes no, it too like i i do yeah. think the backside is very good right it just costs five mana to to make it happen because you you have to attack with the equipped creature and you have to equip it to an order yeah to do true that. <laughs> it doesn't transform oh, yeah even if it was equipped already it transforms and then you need to equip it again yeah but yeah. you do get like king k rules cannon out of the deal which is kind of nice yeah <laughs> We, unfortunate, Eater Virtue exists since he's no play. Oh, well. Yeah. I've got Inti, number three. A card sure. I do not like, but I think is solid. This is Inti, Seneschal of the Sun. 1R for a 2-2 legendary human knight. Whenever you attack, you can discard a card. When you do, put a plus one, one counter on target attacking creature and again trample until end of turn. Uh, then whenever you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library. You can play that card until your end of your next turn. Oh, sorry, until your next instep. So you don't you can't you can't carry a card over. Yeah, unless you discard on their turn, then you get to you know, you get your your next turn to cast it. Which is relevant because this doesn't matter only when it you discard from its ability. Right. It matters whenever you discard a card. So if you I don't know, Tarion's journal, you activate it to discard your hand, <laughs> you get to and you have anti play, you get to exile the top card of your library too. Yeah, I I mean so and this didn't end up making my list because, you know, the way we were talking about it, like in a red deck as a two drop, like triggering this is kind of whatever. Like, yeah, you get a plus one plus one counter, but you probably can't cast the spell or you can't use the card that you flip. Certainly like early in the game, it, it's pretty difficult. But Spike was also playing this in, in modern and making it look like actually kind of playable, which, you know, in modern high bar. But it, it's mostly that, yeah, triggering off of the other cards that you discard to stuff is pretty relevant and can be pretty impressive. And as long as you have like a discard focused deck, it, putting stuff in the graveyard like this puts stuff in the graveyard from your hand. And it also helps pay you for your other stuff that is discarding cards. And I think that that's just enough for this cheap package to actually kind of work. Yeah, so I don't think Hollow One is going to be good in modern for a long time no like but the the curve of what is that one drop one red for mom and cat when you discard a card? blade adept yeah 
the the curve of flame blade adept into inti is extremely appealing because the on the following turn if you burning inquiry or faithful looting or whatever you can play inside of faithful looting now uh you can give your flame blade adept trample because that's what inti does and that's hugely relevant it does already have menace, so it's not the most easily blockable creature. But... It is not the most easily blockable creature, but I have blocked many a flame blade adept. <laughs> sure. Especially now that I'm playing Yagmoth, I just like always have a million creatures in play. Sure. Or I'm losing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that this goes well in a discard fo- rather than, you know, it looks like, oh, is this like a mono red card? But it, it is more a card that goes into a discard focused like graveyardy kind of deck where it is both an enabler and also works well with your other discard outlets. And I, I think it's like kind of good at that. Does it let you cast Fury from the top? Where is the text of NT? It yeah, does. you may Let's you may play that card. Yeah, sure. Okay. If this is good enough for modern, which you know. it probably isn't, I, I think yeah. all a bad strategy. Yeah, my number two is, is actually a dinosaur. It's trumpeting carnosaur. My, mm-hmm. my next two are dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, this is a six mana dinosaur, so we've got four red red for a seven six trample. When it enters the battlefield, discover five, and two and a red discard it. Deals three to target creature or planeswalker. So it has like a channel buyout. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think this card's a little flexible for your bigger end mid-range decks that are trying to like go big. Obviously, the creature is what you want to be doing with it, but you can't always get there, and sometimes you just, I don't know, need to, to have a buyout. You can't buy out Atraxa. Yeah, and and I think the creature is like pretty impressive. Like It's very large and will kill your opponent quickly, and it also just flips probably a removal spell off the top of your deck but if you are lucky and you hit like your cruelty of gix or whatever like actual five mana (laughs) spell then it's like completely nuts but i think a lot of the time you know it comes down and like kills something but then yeah it has that buyout it is reanimatable if that's the you know you have this and a cruelty of gix in hand you take a somewhat like off tempo turn to kill something with this for three mana and then you have this in your graveyard to bring back with cruelty or whatever i, I think there's enough going on here that it's pretty nice yeah, it's also nice that when you discover into a removal spell now you can just put it in your hand instead of right. casting it right that's like, that's a very relevant part of the card that that was a really bad part of cascade when you like blood raid elved into your terminate and your opponent like didn't have anything worth killing so you just didn't cast it well and that's what you needed to win a game against jund is to like have that happen at some point yeah nowadays it's just you know you get the card it's on us yep so the terminate never... that you discover into is just going to go straight into your hand it always works out oh yeah i don't like consequences nope unless they're positive my number one is like a fan favorite for me i, okay. I just like this card it's bone horde dracosaur sure three red red dinosaur dragon Mm-hmm. Flying first strike five five. At the beginning of your upkeep, you exile the top two cards of your library, and you can play them until end of turn. If you exile a land, you make a three one dino, and if you exile a non land, you make a treasure. So if you exile one of each, you get both. Yeah, but you can only get one dinosaur, up to one dinosaur, and up to one treasure. You know, it, it's Correct. a like if you hit two lands, you don't get two. You don't get exactly. two dinosaurs. That would be cool. That would be excellent though. Oof. Yeah, uh, I, I just this card is very impactful like it is i don't want to call it the shieldred of the set because it's nowhere near as good as shieldred of course but it, it costs is five mana 
it does have that I am on the battlefield now and I must be dealt with because it gives you so much after yep. you untap with it. Like it is a five five flyer and you're drawing two cards immediately, possibly getting another creature out of the deal. Yes, as long as you untap with it. It kind of an indictment of red that this is my number one red card too, and it's like a big Baneslayer angel. A big old guy. Like but I do think that despite it being Yeah. On the Baneslayer scale? Yeah. This one is a nice one to play with. Like it is good. It is good and it's fun and like does stuff. It like lets you keep going. As long like it's it's at the like I believe it's at the like Elder Gargaroth like Yeah, it's at the Elder Gargaroth end of the the big right. old derpy creature scale. And while like Elder Gargaroth is like, oh yeah, this just shuts down all the creature decks, like this as a five five first strike is tough to attack into, similarly to Elder Gargaroth. But it also just like whatever your opponent is doing, if what they're not doing is casting a removal spell on it, then it's killing them like very, very quickly. And I think that it's rarely going to be a main deck card in anything. I think it's mostly a sideboard juke to take advantage of your opponent having limited removal spells. And in those kinds of matchups, it can be really good and will just like massively outcard your opponent who is, you know, like worried about your like hidden strings plan and then you're just like here is a dragon do you have any doom blades in your deck because if you don't you're you're dead and if you miss on your doom blade one turn and i make a dinosaur then we're in business got two creatures now yep a, a three one and a five five but mostly two cards off the top of your library and if you get a dinosaur you hit a land and lands are very good in the lotus field deck I, i'm excited to play with this card in the sideboard of lotus field yeah more excited than mana gorge mana form mana form hellkite yeah. i i am yeah i like this card a lot more mana form hellkite's probably sweeter because you can kill your opponent uh, like you cast mana form hellkite then untap with it or maybe don't if you have enough mana you mm. just like cast pour over the pages pour over the pages and like swing in for 10 <laughs> that's <laughs> nice all right let's see my list uh my number five is brass's tunnel grinder this is two in a red for a legendary artifact. When it ETBs, discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards plus one. I need to pull up the actual back of it. At the beginning of your end step, if you descended this turn, put a bore counter on Brass's Tunnel Grinder. Then if there are three or more bore counters on it, remove those counters and transform it. It transforms into a land that taps for a red. And whenever you cast a permanent spell using mana produced by this land, Discover X, where X is that spell's mana value. I guess it's pretty awkward that this transforms at end step. So, like, it spots you a, a boar counter because you get to discard a, a card to draw a card plus one. And so you descend that turn. And then the next turn, if you descend, and then the next turn you descend, then you get there. But you only get there on your end step, and this only triggers on casting a permanent spell. So you really need, like, a flash permanent spell to really, like, get there on it. So, yeah, a little awkward that this only triggers flips on your end step. Maybe I'm off of it. It only flips on the end step of your fifth turn, assuming mm -hmm. you play it on curve. On turn three, yeah. But it does give you a lot of value afterward. Every every permanent you cast discovers. But you do need to then still like have material to be casting with it. It's just every every permanent that you cast gives you another card. I, eh. I hate this yeah. card. No. I scoffed when you said the name of it because it's a card I read and I'm like, this is three mana? Yeah. Really? 
I mean, if it were two mana, I think it would be very good, but I, I'm okay with it at two mana because if you draw it on turn two, it has a good chance of being relevant in the game. Mm-hmm. If you draw it later than that, it might not. Well, I mean, it does replace itself. So if it were two mana and replaced itself and then was also like a win condition, that would be pretty wild. But yeah, I think that just the fact that it flips on your end step is so awkward that. <sighs> yeah, not I, I, this card not is three great. mana. It doesn't affect the board until no, like really your sixth not. turn at the earliest. Not doable. And I, I, I'm just not into it. Sadly, like this is a card I saw ooh, an artifact that flips into a very cool card advantage engine. What is it? What is its front side do? And it's just yeah. like straight nothing. Yep. Like, oh, OK, well, that's for me, I guess. Uh, my number four is Enterprising Scallywag. This is one in a red for a 2-2 goblin pirate. At the beginning of your end step, if you descended this turn, create a treasure token. I, you know, they're they're using this as like a gate so you can't like trigger things multiple times by descending and like come up with some sort of combo but it also like makes the cards so useless because they don't do anything they trigger on your end step and then it's like okay well i can't use this until my next turn it, it's just like it's so bad it reminds me of the cards that make a tapped treasure token it's like all right I, yeah I, I have a treasure token but it's tapped i can't use it now right this is useless <laughs> so you know this could be cool for an engine sort of thing that's just like making a treasure every turn, but it just makes it at such an awkward time that it, it feels like a really disappointing design. This card could very easily be just attached to Brass's Tunnel Grinder. Mm-hmm. Like the flavors, it's taking a treasure. If you descend, you make a treasure. If you have yeah. X amount of treasures, flip it. Then you don't have to like, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And my last three are on your list too. I have Trumpeting Carnosaur. I like it. I think it's like neat and flexible mid-rangey kind of card. Oh, actually, no, I have Geological Appraiser, mostly just because it looks kind of like a Bloodbraid Elf if you squint. Oh, yeah, but... this wasn't on my list because I think it sucks. Yeah, it's probably bad. A 3-2 doesn't really do anything anymore. Two red red. It's a, a four-mana Rogue Refiner with, yeah. that doesn't even have the good text of Rogue Refiner. Well, it can cast the spell that you hit. Whatever. You know, you're going to hit a one-drop every single we do play a lot of one drops these days. It'll why see a little bit of Why is it an artificer? I don't know why it's an artificer. It's also so awkward looking the way that they're just kind of standing there. I don't know. It's a, a very a pretty big downgrade like art wise from Bloodbraid Elf. Eh, I don't I don't particularly like Bloodbraid Elf's art. <laughs> Maybe it's like I just played too much standard at that time, so I learned to hate it. Yeah, I think that might be it. Bloodbraid Elf is at least doing something. Wait, no, that can't be true because I love Blightning's art, and that card scars me. (laughs) (laughs) And then my number one is Bonehorde Dracosaur. Yeah, I love Bonehorde Dracosaur. I hope I get to play this card. (laughs) It's kind of the only... I mean, I guess I I reasonably enjoy Trumpeting Carnosaur, but Dracosaur is the only red card that I like actually like from this set yeah it's the only one that like draws me to want to put it into play yeah like but trumpeting uh what's the 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 seven six i was just like expecting to discard it a majority of the time right or like not hit my fifth land and need to kill something i had my sixth land drop and need to kill something like well i don't know if i'm gonna get there next turn (laughs) fire off the open fire yeah but dragosaur thumbs up into it 
Ooh, but here we go to green. I, I actually quite like green. Same. All right. My number five is Sentinel of the Nameless City. This is tuna green for a three, four merfolk warrior scout with vigilance when it ETBs or attacks create a map token. Um, I played against a pioneer merfolk deck where a lot of the <laughs> stuff that they were doing just didn't matter at all, except that this guy was hyper relevant because it was so big and had vigilance and, you know, they put their counters on it and they had their lords and it was just a five, six and then a six, seven. And it was like, oh, OK, this matters a lot. And I think, you know, it generates value when it comes in. It continues to generate value as it stays on the board. It can be very big. The plus one plus one counters are super relevant on a three, four vigilance that becomes a four, five vigilance and then a five, six vigilance. I think this card's good. No, I, I think this card's very good. It's much higher on my list than number five. It's number two for me. OK, uh, <laughs> I I think it's hilarious. Your opponent played it in a merfolk deck because I know a lot of the merfolk hype around the set isn't that two mana enchantment that whenever oh, sure. uh, you whenever you tap a non-token merfolk, you make a one-one hexproof merfolk. And this card sure. just has vigilance. It's just like easily the best yeah. merfolk in the set, and it has vigilance. <laughs> it doesn't tap, doesn't trigger the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like this guy. It's not higher on my list because it's just like a three mana creature, I guess. And it's a three mana guy that makes material. That's it. Does that's, make that material. makes it pretty high on my list. Yeah, no, that's nice. And the body is super relevant. I was really impressed. Like with a Lord in play, it was just like, what, what, how do I attack through this? How do I block this? Like what's going on? You and can also spread of, around the love. Like if you right. want, if you have a more important creature than this, that needs to attack, you can just start putting counters on that thing. Yep. Yeah. I like this guy. If this would just like attack, sometimes you get a counter, sometimes you get a land. Like when it explore, when it attack, it would be nice. But the, the map token, I think makes it appreciably better. Yeah, and if you can use that material for other purposes, because it's a whole extra permanent. And green mm -hmm. is not the best color for doing stuff with that. Green it might be the worst color. It. But they're, but, I mean, I don't know. Make a standard the Ozolith deck. Sure. Go for it. Sure. <laughs> Number four is Watley, Poet of Unity. Two and a green for a 2-3 human. Once you ETB, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. And then three and two Boros mana, exile her, and then return her to the battlefield transformed under her owner's control, activate only as a sorcery. She transforms into a saga that makes two dinosaurs, and then your creatures can tap for a bunch of mana, and then searches up a dinosaur from your library. And like, basically, I I was pretty convinced by the Atali-like scenario with this card that put this in your deck <laughs> as a value creature with an Atali or two in your deck and she like gets you to Atali if your opponent doesn't solve her. Yeah, like almost immediately. Like it, it, when you flip the enchantment, you make some dinosaurs. Then the turn you cert you two drop Atali, you can almost certainly cast it because your mm -hmm. creatures have the, the mana ability. Yep. Yeah, this is honestly kind of a one trick Atali, but that Atali is good enough that this is yeah perfectly reasonable. Yep. And if they do deal with it, then you went up a card. You got to land off of this in your deck that has at least one seven drop in it. So that's a that's a card. I will also specify that Boros mana is red, white hybrid mana. Yes. So you don't have to play this in a specifically green, white and red deck. Right. You can green, just play red it or green, green white. Well, I guess green, red. Yeah. Is yeah if you want to play like Tali, it. You're, you're likely going to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if we're playing Gishaf. Then we're then we're Naya. Yes. And our deck is a lot worse. Uh, yeah, probably not what we're doing. I, I think we're, we're trying to limit our colors a little bit or at least limit our eight drops a little bit. Yeah. 
My number three is C-Note Scout or Cenote Scout. Yeah. One green for a 1-1 Merfolk Scout. When it ETBs, it explores. Real real clean, real one mana, gives you value. Yeah. Big fan of one mana, gives you value cards. Yep. I, I just can't say anything bad about this. I, I have already played against it in Pioneer. I don't know that you want to be playing Explore Creatures in your... Amalia Wild Growth Walker deck, but you know, it let them do something with one mana that they might not have been able to otherwise and you know, dug them towards their combo. I kind of like Sentinel of the Nameless City if you're doing Amalia stuff. Sure. I don't particularly like Cenote Scout or Merfolk Branch Walker or whatever. Yeah, definitely not Merfolk Branch Walker, but well, they're all the same to me. They're just like below rate for pioneer creatures that, yeah, but Merfolk Branch Walker takes a whole turn two of your mana or like if you cast it on turn three you're not casting anything else you know like Marfolk Ranch Walker much worse in Pioneer than this thing is yeah for sure I mean it's much worse everywhere I think <laughs> yeah my number two is Hulking Raptor this is two and two green for a five three dinosaur with ward at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase add green green just a, a dude that ramps and has five power and like creates problems on multiple axes for your opponent and isn't easy to kill efficiently, which is pretty nice for a four mana creature. Yeah, this would definitely be on my list somehow. It was as soon as you said the name, I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's cards in the set. I completely <laughs> forgot about it. Even though I looked through the set while making this list, I'm just like, green has so many cool cards. I got this <laughs> it does have a lot of cool one. cards. <laughs> this one seems like. It's at least a card that you look at and think about for mono green. And then outside of that, like in standard, just it bridges you to really expensive stuff while uh, also on its own. If you're getting your hand disrupted or whatever, but you've landed this and your opponent has kept you from ramping into stuff. Well, I'll start attacking for five and it doesn't it's take a lot of five damage attacks to kill your opponent. Yeah, it's certainly one of my favorite explosive meditations they've ever printed. Mm hmm. <laughs> It's so you big. Just get a whole five three along with it, yeah. Yeah, you cast your six drop on your turn five, and then you that's just attack. Yeah. All right, done with this thing. I'll swing. Yeah, you can block it. I got my six mana. Yep. And my number one card is Spelunking. Two and a green enchantment. When it ETBs, draw a card. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. If you put a cave onto the battlefield this way, you gain four life. Lands you control enter the battlefield untapped. There's a whole like hideous looking deck in Pioneer <laughs> built entirely around this card. I can't say that that deck is definitely playable or anything, but any card that inspires this much like putting like unplayable mana bases together in order to like do some weird combo, like it's got something to it. And also Dom thinks it's good in Amulet. So that's, you know, it, it has a spot for me. I think it is good in Amulet, but yeah. I, I hope people figure out the Spelunking stuff. The the cute thing you can do with Spelunking combo-wise is the original Eldraine land cycle, the mm -hmm. Mystic Sanctuary, etc. cycle. They trigger when they come into play untapped. Yep. Not when you control three or more of a land. That's just how they come into play untapped. But if it already comes into play untapped with Spelunking, then it just triggers immediately, no matter how many of the islands you own or whatever. Yep. So the whole joke is you can... You know, tutor up a bunch of lands with scapeshift and then 
you can Mystic Sanctuary the Tutor back and then Tutor for Brendan Reclamation. And if one of your lands is a Lotus Field, you put all that stuff in the graveyard and then you get them back and you can do some loops and all this stuff. And eventually you win the game with like a dozen Whatever. Lands. Irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. It's just very cute. And probably a little on the, at least the builds right now, are super weak and fragile. Yeah. And your your deck doesn't work without a Spelunking in play. And you only get to run four spelunkings. Yeah, that's why we commune with spirits. Gotta gotta find more spelunkings. Yeah, but commune with spirits doesn't like. There's no like additional sin. You know, there's no other enchantments that like are helpful to your game plan. You're just like trying to get your lands and your spelunkings. I like the deck doesn't quite make sense to me yet, but obviously the fact that this card inspires so much figuring stuff out. Like there's some there's some juice here to squeeze. Yeah, it's a very cool card. I also have it as my number one. I think it's just the most interesting green card. It gives mm -hmm. the most new stuff to for people to play with. Yep. Other than that, mm -hmm. I can share my list. It'll it'll be a little embarrassing because I overlooked Hulking Rafter, but we'll just move ah. past that. <laughs> we'll forgive you. So my number five is Cenote Scout. That's the the one mana explore creature. I think mm -hmm. it's just perfectly good. Yep. My number four is Explorer's Cache. Uh, this is a, a pet card of mine. This is yeah. one in a green artifact. Comes to play with a bunch of plus one plus one counters. And whoa, whoa, can... whoa. It comes to play with two plus one plus okay, one counters. Comes to play with two plus one plus one counters. <laughs> <sighs> you can tap it to move a counter from it to a creature. Only as a sorcery, so you can't like blow them out in combat. Uh, and then whenever a creature you control with a counter on a plus one plus counter on it dies you can put a counter onto explorer's cache so it's like this budget uh, original akoria osleth mm -hmm. i have really enjoyed playing art and skills decks in pioneer uh even with no walking blista because the osleth is just super good yeah uh, it, it's very strong if you haven't had a chance the problem is you like can't convert any of your stats to winning the game which is a, a big bummer a big problem yes. with that deck and explorer's cash does not solve that but it makes me hopeful that you know we'll keep supporting random plus one, plus one counters on permanence things for a while and eventually they'll slip up and you know unban walking Vista. yeah i haven't played against a pioneer hardened scales deck in a while i did play against like a black white ozolith deck with like sac you know various oh, like Bartolome? bond wardens and stuff and and just like putting a lot of plus one plus one counters on like a cartel aristocrat which was like the ozolith was a problem for my phoenix deck so yeah. there's the definitely stuff up. there yeah the ozolith is really good uh i'll go back to the ozolith when we're talking about Bartolome because i i have seen that card be utilized in a number of ways which i think are very interesting and yeah. the Oswald is one of them no i i sideboarded in brotherhood's end and just happily cast paid three mana to kill my opponent's one mana artifact and and like the yeah, Oswald is very life. strong yeah it gives a lot of stats and especially when you're playing phoenix it's like hard to mm -hmm. measure up against that like constant really value is. yep my number two is sentinel of the nameless city this is the merfolk with vigilance that makes a bunch of maps it really knows where it's going. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then my number one was Spelunking as well. Sure. 
Makes sense to me. Card is great. Or at least, in, like, very interesting. Creates creates things in ways that a lot, like, very few cards do. Yeah, I don't... I, I honestly don't think Splunking's going to go very well in the combo-focused builds that mm-hmm. are, like, all-in on Splunking. However, I can see it be a role player in, like, existing land-based combo decks. Sure. For instance, Amulet or Lotus Field. Mm-hmm. In some regard, I think you can make a package that makes sense. But, yeah. you know, this is less than week one of the new cards. We're on currently on day four of new cards. Also, so, if you manage to do any reasonable number of caves with it, like gaining four life is no joke with this thing. Like you, yeah, you just good. made yourself much harder for an aggressive deck to kill. And luckily, I think one of the playable cave, the best cave in the set is Echoing Deeps, which is mm-hmm. the uh, the Vesava for a land card in a graveyard. Yeah. And it's very good with any Spelunking combo you're trying to do. So that's that is a, a good positive. Yep. Speaking of Echoing Deeps, I can segue into the multicolor and such section because that is my number five. Cool. Uh, Echoing Deeps. This is a cave. Uh, you can have it enter the battlefield tapped as a copy of any land card in any graveyard, except it's a cave in addition to its other types. So you always get the four life off Spelunking if you if you do this, throw this in there. Uh, if you don't have it enter the copy of anything, it's just it taps for a mana, a colorless mana. Yeah, this is just uh, I, I I remember when Vesev was coming out, people were like, OK, this is just another cloud post. And then people kept finding better and better uses for it as then as opposed to like just another cloud post. Yeah. As more lands and such came out. And we have so many good lands now. And Echoing Deeps is a lot more constrained in what you can do with Vesova, but it's not necessarily worse. Because if you, for instance, Sator Wayfinder or Mulch or whatever, and put cards in your graveyard, your Echoing Deeps is live in a way that Vesova is not. Yeah, I think this is a good part of all of the Spelunking combos as well as that I've seen. It's also just like particularly suited to doing degenerate stuff with Lotus Field. Any deck that's like putting Lotus <laughs> Field into play and then sacrificing Lotus Field to its own ability is like, OK, this lets you keep going with that and, and do more of it potentially. And that's a kind of natural like f- for any weird land combo deck enjoyers that that could be a thing, too. Echoing Deeps is a nice one. There's there's not a lot of limits with what you can do with it, which is pretty yeah. nice. It even has a a backup mode Vespa does not have, which is mm-hmm. is a waste. Like it just yeah. comes into play untapped as a colorless mana source. Vespa does not have that buyout. No, that's that's really nice. My number four is Kellen, Daring Traveler. The adventure is called Journey On. It's a green mana sorcery that you make one map. And then one more map for each opponent you control that controls an artifact. So if your opponent has zero artifacts in play, you make one map. If your opponent has an artifact in play, you make two maps. If you ever make three maps, you're playing a multiplayer game. And thank you for listening to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hope that something that we say is helpful to you. (laughs) The other side of Kellen is Kellen Daring Traveler, which is a legendary human fairy scout. Uh, whenever he attacks, you reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature with mana value three or less, you put it in your hand. Otherwise, you may put it in your graveyard. Uh, so you can fix your draw step if you don't hit a creature and it's a land. You can just 
throw in your graveyard. Or if it's land, you can just like crack a map and draw it if you want. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah, it, I, it like intentionally synergizes with his map making ability. It's it's kind of nice. Yeah, if you see a land on top, you can put it in the graveyard, then tr- crack your map to try to put a counter on him. Uh, this card is actually pretty solid. It's just a white two drop. Yeah, uh, two mana, two three on attack sometimes draws a card, and the card you're drawing is a creature. Like imagine drawing an Adeline with this card, for instance. I mean, you're drawing it post combat, but fine, fine. I guess you can't have everything. And sometimes you you don't have the Adeline in your hand, and your opponent's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, thank God, they don't have an Adeline," because you like yes. are attacking, and then you reveal Adeline, and they're like, "Oh no, this is not good." <laughs> this is a small ball card. It does a lot of little things, but it's it's one of those cards that has a nice building block to a deck sort of structure. Like it's a solid creature. It gets you more towards what you're doing. I don't expect it to see play exclusively in Selesnia decks. Like, you can just play this as a white 2-drop. You don't need to be making maps off of his adventure. Yeah, and it wears, like, counters off of Rafine and stuff pretty well as a 2-3. Like, it's it's pretty easy to keep it sized properly so that your opponent's creatures can't trade for it. Right, and if you can randomly make a green mana, uh, a mid-game treasure is, is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, a mid-game map. Mid-game map, treasure. yeah. yeah. Don't know how I get treasures and maps confused. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is just like a pretty low-cost card, you know, two-mana creature that contributes value in like multiple ways. I, I like it. I, I think this card's pretty good. My next card is Anim Pakal, Thousandth Moon. One red-white for a one-two. Whenever you attack with one or more non-gnome creatures, put a plus one's counter on her. Then you create X11 colorless gnome artifact creature tokens that are tapped to attacking, where X yeah. is the number of plus one counters on Anim Pakal. The gnomes are very like serious looking in her art, just sort of like marching on. Yeah, these aren't your everyday average market gnomes. These are war gnomes. <laughs> uh, this is just the Adeline slash Krenko type of card. It's like a hybrid between the two at, at red and white. It's it's nice, a nice, nice combo there. Yeah, because like Krenko, it keeps ratcheting up in the number of tokens you make. But also like Adeline, you don't have to get into combat with Anim Bacall in order to make the tokens. Mm-hmm. She also gets very large like yeah. over time as you keep attacking. Red and white is an awkward color combination for this. It's not perfect, especially in standard right now. But I do like the card text of the card, and maybe they can find a home somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think the color combination is definitely the thing that holds this back the most. I think the text of the card is fantastic, but it is it can be tough to find the deck for this, for sure. There's, I'm just saying there's a plaza of heroes out there, and Rafine is not going to be legal forever. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So plaza of heroes just rotate the same time as Rafine. Oh, okay. I, 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 there's no way that I would be able to tell you for sure that that is the I'm case. Sure I, you're, I I'm sure you're right. I just, I just don't know. I'm doubting myself. Well, whatever. It's, it's not important. We'll move on. Sure. I, I don't think she'll see a lot of play right now, but mm-hmm. it is a very nice card. Uh, my number two is Molten Collapse because I refused to put a removal spell at number one. This is just going to be a recurring theme throughout the entire I get episode. It. This is not just a removal spell, though. This is a removal spell that two for one's your opponent a lot of the time. 
That's just two removal spells. Yeah, <laughs> I think two removal spells can be your number one. I refuse. I can't right. do it. Fair enough. Even though it's obvious, it's when we get to my number one, it's clearly better. But we're just going <laughs> to pretend it's not. <laughs> number two, Molten Collapse. Sure. <laughs> Red to black. Uh, you can either destroy target creature or planeswalker, or you can destroy target non-creature, non-land permanent with mana value one or less. But if you descended this turn, you get both. I think everyone has talked about this card by now. We talked about it for like a pretty good while in the last episode. We talked about this card. I it's made just... two separate TikToks of us talking about this card. Wow, we did talk a lot about it. Jeez. Yeah. It's just everything you could want out of especially out of scam like it, it does the red black it's a red black card so you can pitch to either thing it kills the problematic permanence that scam is not very good against uh enchantments shadow spears construct tokens i mean it terminate does that but you don't get everything in one card like this card does for you yeah uh, and it asks for the low low price of something having died which it could be a fetch land or a elemental you evoked like it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I I, I think that right. It, it covers a lot of the weaknesses of the deck in that it can solve like a construct and a shadow spear simultaneously is pretty nice. Um, I also like notably in Pioneer, this kills Witch's Oven. It also yeah. kills like Chain to the Rocks out of a deck that is completely unable to deal with Chain to the Rocks otherwise. Um, but killing a witch's oven like i'm really like one of the things that i have written down of stuff that i need to figure out in pioneer is like does running this in rakdos midrange like change the sacrifice matchup at all because that's you know not a great matchup for midrange that's one of the reasons that sacrifice is heavily played but if you can kill their witch's oven like how much of a difference does that make if you can kill their mayhem devil and their witch's oven at the same time i mean whenever they have a mayhem devil and a witch's oven out you're like one turn cycle away from death basically and it's probably too late for even molten collapse to save you but you know killing the witch's oven makes their deck a lot worse so it's also noticeably harder in pioneer to turn this card on than it is fatal push it because is. it does not work with blood or treasure right just as like an i know you know but just like an fyi to yeah. anyone who hasn't quite closely read how descent works <laughs> you can trigger it by discarding a permanent card to your fable of the mirror breaker or to a blood token an excellent way to do that because most of the time you want to loot away lands. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that that is a pretty important thing that that is going on. It's it's actually one of the things that this is going to be. This is a very silly thing to to bring up, but playing that waste not deck, one of the very <laughs> frustrating things that I had going on is that you're also playing Gaia Reach Sanitarium so that you would have a way to like trigger waste not when your opponent didn't have any cards in hand but if they had even a single card in hand they're like heavily incentivized to discard a land because they want to keep action which doesn't give you any value off of waste not it just like gives you two mana that obviously you don't need because you're activating gutter reach sanitarium so you're not like short on mana so that that like particular like lack of synergy like really knocked me out of playing a deck like that you just have to retool it into being a tithing blade. No waste not. Yeah, I mean, I was very impressed by like a lot of the deck that was not the card waste not. So th there's there was like something to it. Rankle's prank got a lot of people like absolutely devastating. It's choose like 
Oh, it's that one. Choose, choose one of three. Each player discards two, loses four, and sacks two. Yeah. Big old barter and blood energy. Yeah, it was it was good. My number one, because I refuse to put mine collapse there, sure. is Bartolome del Presidio. Yep. This is a white black 2-1 legendary vampire knight. Sacrifice another artifact or creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on him. It's unbounded. You can activate it any number of times per turn. And that is huge because this is the only card you can sacrifice unbounded like any number of times per turn that costs two mana in Pioneer. Mm-hmm. The only other card that did that was three mana or up like Woestrider. Yeah. And it gives you kind of a real resource in those plus one plus one counters where you can like turn this into potentially a massive threat. Um, can't really combine it with like any walking ballista cauldron stuff in pioneer because walking ballista is not legal but if it were that would like the the gears would be turning very very hard it works really well with return to the ranks or uh the other one i can't remember the name of rally the ancestors yeah rally the ancestors yeah uh it also has the buyout of sacrificing artifacts which can be relevant. I don't know how yet. I haven't even bothered to figure that out. Sacrificing creatures is just enough for me a lot of the time. Well, when you're playing this, when you're not doing like completely absurd, unfair things with it, like sacrificing artifacts is like kind of like, I don't know. Got a tithing blade. I'll sacrifice this. Got a map token. I'll sacrifice this. And if it's just like, I think I can kill my opponent if this thing's a six, five and I attack twice, like it's a little easier to get there potentially with artifacts. Yeah, that's true. This is a card that works well with uh, the Devouring Sugar Maw adventure. Make a sure. food, make, make a make a creature. I, I, that's because I like Keeper the Inner Sky too. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This card's on my list too. I think it's very good. I, I think it just is really clean. It doesn't limit itself at all. And the fact that you can sacrifice artifacts or creatures opens it up a little bit. I do think most of the time in like white black in like. Creatures. rally decks and stuff like that it's it's going to be eating creatures but yeah but that, that for rally the ancestors specifically i don't know if it still is going to be playable in pioneer but having being able to play a rally for two and get back a sacrifice outlet is mm-hmm. huge as yes. opposed to having to do it for five in order to get your woe strider yeah yeah and now you know i love a woe strider but it is hard on the mana curve to put Woe Strider in your deck and like really messes things up. And, and it's in your like all creatures that want to die deck, like Stitcher yeah. Supplier deck. Yeah. Yep. This is just nice. I, I think it's huge for the, that kind of deck. Yeah, I really like it. Is it better than Mind Collapse? Yes. Or, sorry, Molten Collapse. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why yeah. it's number one. <laughs> all right. My list, my number five is Kellen Daring Traveler. I do think this is more of like a standard power level card, but I think it's got just the value and the the cheapness to do that trick. My number four is Bartolome de Presidio, del Presidio. Maybe better than number four, but that's where it fell on my list. Yeah, we'll fight later. Sure. <laughs> my number three is Amalia Benavides Aguirre. I... I've already played against the Wild Growth Walker combo deck twice in not quite two leagues. Uh, I beat it once with my deck that is only creatures and all it does is go wide on board and has no way of interacting (laughs) with this combo. And then I lost to it. Uh, 
playing against the version of the deck that I played against really got the feeling that like Convoke may be the only deck that this can beat the way that it is. <laughs> it's just like a deck that's all like one threes and two twos for two and soul wardens and then collected companies, but you're collected companying into like cards. just the worst creatures you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, like a single fatal push just like blows the entire house down. So I don't think that the decks as they're being constructed right now make a lot of sense. The certainly against a, a very creature heavy deck, the combo wild growth Walker plus Amalia gain a life just like nuke the board. I have a 2020 is good. Like that's very, very powerful. And there is something to that. I don't know how to build the deck out of more playable cards that will stand up to like, Oh, I'm playing against Rakdos, the most popular deck in the format. Like you do need to plan for that eventuality somehow. So th there's that. She also just is a good payoff for life gain. Generally like explore, as a trigger when you gain yeah. a life is is good yeah the, the johnny's pride mate has always existed right but sometimes yeah. this is a johnny's pride mate that draws you a card which is really important yes and and then like fixes your draw steps like you do get to surveil effectively whenever you're not drawing it's good yeah i i have no complaints about amalia i i like the card i don't think she'll end up seeing constant play because i think the combo is just way too weak and that's what everyone's fixated on yeah and I don't know. I, I don't think she really f is a good enough life game payout to pay off to like fit into how white black as a color works in Pioneer. Right. Yeah, it, it is a weird color combination for that. And the fact that you basically have to be playing a three color deck to like make her do her thing and the mana like you don't have to. You only have to be playing a three color deck if you want the combo, the combo, if you want right. wild growth walker. If you're just playing a like Kaldheim style black white yeah whatever deck with yeah. her as an a Johnny's Pride mate. I think she's better in that role than the combo deck because she's yeah. a consistent card. That's true. Uh, and you don't have to play playing you don't have to massacre your mana base and play a bunch of bad cards. I mean you probably do still because you're playing a life game tribal deck. But you know <laughs> you you do that intentionally. Not as in pursuit of like this 2020 combo. Um I did win one game against them by uh playing invasion an invasion of gobicon didn't really matter whether they had the the combo in hand or on top of their library because then i flipped invasion of gobicon and then they could not wrath me anymore and there was no way for them to like they could make a 2020 and wrath themselves and then i would win on the next turn so so, you know, the combo, even against the all creature deck, is not always the most effective thing. So that another strike against it, I think. My number two is Animpakal, Thousandth Moon. Again, I think she has incredible text, but she is red-white, and so kind of limited in what she can go into. But uh, if there is a red-white deck that is doing, like, kind of mid-rangey aggro or whatever, I, I think that she can be a really powerful threat that supports your other attacking creatures uh, yeah she's really good 
And then my number one is Molten Collapse because I have no qualms about putting a removal spell first. This is yeah, not you did my it like only... four times in this stupid color. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like get lost and the yep. blue card was a removal spell. The black card was a removal spell. Yeah, maybe I did it for every, every top five. <laughs> it was just the Dracosaur and Spelunking that, that dodged it. Yep. Because green can't put a removal spell at first. <laughs> well, Warden the Under Sky is way better than get lost. And red somehow had zero... Red had no removal spells in it, so I couldn't yeah, possibly. Well, is do that, that a removal color? <laughs> <laughs> Unclear to me. Yeah, but molten collapse clearly very good for all the reasons we discussed, and I think it'll patch holes in multiple different decks. Yeah, sadly, I I think it's a little too efficient. I I think so too. I think these are holes that it's good for those decks to have mostly, like yeah. Rectos not being able to kill a witch's oven without like playing a bad card is generally a good thing i think i don't think i would hate it even if it's a strict upgrade to dreadboard if it was modal mm -hmm. but i don't like that you just sometimes get both and you just free roll everything yeah it's like, so that's... devastating when you like get a construct and the thing they got off of the urza saga yeah that is so much value it's in a color combination that's really not hurting for it nowadays and, and it's specifically that it's good against the stuff that is good against the decks that you're putting Molten Collapse in. It's like, this is how you lost a lot of games. And now you just can turn those losses into like blowout victories for you. I like how far we've come in magic design, where the first time we really looked at red black as a color pair was in Dissension, where the whole mechanic was, all right, so you have no hand, right? <laughs> you get a very marginal bonus. Yeah. We're oh. going to call it Hellbent. Yeah, that was not a great one. Now in 2023, we're like, all right, you have a slight weakness. Don't worry. We got you in the next set. We'll cover it. No problem. <laughs> Enjoy your fable of the mirror breaker and your shieldreds. Oh, you mean there's a way to lose a game where you grief scam your opponent? OK, well, we'll patch that one up. Yeah, don't worry. We got you. Caverns of Ixalan patch notes. The bug where sometimes you lost the game after griefing your opponent ha has been fixed. Don't worry, if you grief your opponent and you see a saga, the next card you draw is going to be Molten Collapse. That's our <laughs> promise to you. <laughs> Whew. Well, we made it. We did it. Great work. Nice. Yeah, you too. Thanks. It's actually just like a two hour episode that, you know, I think we were pretty efficient with this one. Yeah, honestly, a lot of the cards were pretty simple. They just kind of do what they say, and they, other than spelunking, which is super bizarre. Yes. Which we can't even go into because we don't really know how that's going to pan out. No, didn't I'm to, excited, though. Yeah, we, we didn't get to talk about a lot of people playing the cards for the first time because this is the second day they're even available on Magic Online. So, yeah, still some work to be done there. But people are definitely excited. Like almost every match that I played today, there was a new card in my opponent's deck. Except for the one match where my opponent cast Hearth Elemental, Stormwing Entity, up the Beanstalk, and Elder Deep Fiend against me. That one, they didn't yeah, have any new cards. They were clearly doing some stuff. Yeah, they were doing <laughs> some stuff. I think that hopefully they were taking advantage of the all-access pass to just like live out their dreams. It sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. The next... So we do have some ban list chatter from Watsi, not from like Twitter or okay. whatever. Hit me. There's going to be an official stream on November the 27th, which is a Monday. Mm -hmm. It's about what, two weeks from now. 
that is going to discuss their ban list philosophy. This format is not stated, so I can't tell you what format it is. Probably going to be modern because everyone's complaining about it. But <laughs> to be determined, right? Sure. So that is uh, the, the official Watsi stream in about two weeks. The week afterwards, on December 4th, also Monday, is going to be a ban list announcement. For the, that's the last announcement of the year. Judging by the fact that they're having a stream before the week, I'm assuming there will be bans of some sort in some format. Feels like it. So unless they're really trying to like get us to accept the no bans, really, really work in it. Yeah. So I think next week we might have to do a ban our unhinged unban episode yeah because that's the perfect week to get it in it's before the announcement so anything we say won't be influenced by that and then when we come back and record again it'll be after the the stream and we can see how we did yeah sure i doubt they'll give us the answers considering the panelist isn't a whole week after that but you know but we can (laughs) we can at least compare notes uh, it's, that's going to be the episode where I push for all of the artifact lands to be legal because you can just put brotherhoods in on your sideboard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've considered briefly putting brotherhood brotherhoods end in my modern sideboard already, but there definitely would be a point with artifact lands where yeah, <laughs> brotherhoods end, Stony Silence, Collector Roof. Hope you weren't trying to play this game, idiot. I I have deeded my opponents, my affinity opponents' board in the past, but Brotherhood's End is a very efficient way of doing that. Yeah, the most I haven't done, I haven't done deed, but I have done Gorilla Shaman in yeah. Popper. That's very similar. <laughs> that is really good. There is like a a Gorilla Shaman-y sort of guy in this set that like kills all of the yeah, artifacts, he was, right? He was briefly on my list. Because he kills construct tokens extremely effectively. Yeah. And you can tutor him off of uh, uh, Imperial Recruiter. Or also would similar kill effects. a board of artifact lands very effectively. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't make the list because there are significantly more interesting cards to talk about than like a very niche a white yeah. sideboard card. Right, sure. Like get lost. Yeah, so interesting. <laughs> Listen, as, as as many times as I have been leyline binding t- to just like crush my soul, uh, any playable card that's going to kill an enchantment is like actively exciting to me at this point. Yeah, including leyline binding, right? That's that's not what that means. Because <laughs> you sit there I'm with a leyline binding out with their leyline binding under it, and you're like. It's only a matter of time before this board gets all fucked up. I I saw that happening in real time uh, in one of the previous RCQs I was in where the four color players were playing mm-hmm. and there was a leyline binding under a leyline binding and I'm behind one of the players so I know there's a leyline binding in their hand and I'm just waiting for it like heads are going to roll here. I'm waiting <laughs> for it and they just play it on something else and I'm like <sighs> okay. <laughs> It's the Bosagio on the Leyline Binding that usually, like, causes some, like, real gnarly stuff to happen. I did play a game the other week against Enigmatic Incarnation where I got to uh, Odawara their Leyline Binding and then Disdainful, like, with a Crackling Drake under it, draw my card and then Disdainful Stroke it back on the way back down. And then I got my one attack in before they got to untap and it was 
it was plenty. That felt good. Magic's fun. Magic is fun. So I can't wait to talk about how much more fun it could be next week. <laughs> With the artifact lanes getting blown up by Brotherhood's End. Yeah, the format we all want and deserve. Honestly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Lee, thank you for hanging out and talking with me. Uh, everyone at home, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, chat, thank you all for hanging out. We appreciate it. If you want to check out the stream, twitch.tv slash CCR underscore grindcast. Uh, again, we are revamping the Patreon, having new rewards and some like weekly content and stuff. I did my first set of like testing journals this past week. I'll have another one coming out on Friday and yeah, trying to make something cool happen. So come check out the discord. The link will be in the show notes and we will and see chill. you there and chill. We yeah. are very chill. So chill. So chill. <laughs> All right. See you until next week. All right. Bye. Bye.